Amen. Uh, Exodus chapter number 14, if you'll turn there. Exodus chapter number 14. I've been in communication with Pastor uh, a few times today, and it seems as if uh, things are holding steady for him and his family. And uh, he, uh, uh, we ask you to continue to pray for him and for Miss Angela and for Matthew and April. Uh, we sure do miss them today. We look forward to having them back with us, uh, hopefully this coming Wednesday, Lord willing. And uh, in the meantime, we'll do the best we can to be an encouragement to you. Exodus chapter 14, we're going to read the uh, first four verses. And if you're able, I ask that you stand in respect and honor of the reading of the Word of God. Exodus chapter number 14. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. By the way, I want to warn you, okay, there's a, a song at the end of the service that is new to us as well, okay? So just be ready, all right? We'll do the best we can. We'll stumble through it. All right, Exodus chapter 14, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against baal Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel... They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. The title of the message this evening is Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Between a Rock and a Hard Place. The children of Israel obviously have been delivered uh, by the mighty hand of God from their bondage in Egypt. However, now they find themselves in a little bit of a pickle once again. And so we'll see how the Lord not only delivers them from this uh, event, but also how he is magnified, uh, and hopefully we can apply it to our lives as well. Let's bow together for a prayer, and we'll get right into the message. Father in heaven, we love you, and Lord, we are grateful, dear God, that you are the God of miracles. And Lord, we've, we've seen miracles in our personal lives, in the life of our church, and, Lord, we thank you for these recordings of miracles in the life of the nation of Israel. And, Father, they are an encouragement to us. We pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to be a faith-filled people. Help us to be faithful people. Help us, dear God, to see and know your wonders in, in times past and understand that, yes, you have done miracles before. You've done miracles in the present. And, Lord, we're trusting you to continue to do miracles in the future. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, as... Uh, we find ourselves at times between a rock and a hard place. Uh, Lord, we find ourselves in, in a pickle. We find ourselves cornered and where we don't know where to go and where to turn. Help us to always look, look to you, Lord, and turn to you. We pray you bless the preaching of your word tonight. Lord, be an encouragement to your people here at White Oak Baptist Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. We mentioned already that the Israelites have been delivered, and you know the story, a very familiar Bible passage, Bible story of the Israelites being in bondage in Egypt for 400 or so years, and uh, they were uh, being used as slaves, and they had taskmasters over them, and for many years they built uh, the, the kingdom, the palaces, the pyramids of uh, the Egyptians, and God used those ten miraculous plagues to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Pharaoh, who was very stubborn, Pharaoh, who refused to let God's people go. Uh, I remember there was a time uh, in my uh, my time in our church in Baltimore where uh, obviously I was an assistant pastor and there would be uh, moments where I would uh, the, our pastor there would go a little bit longer. And I would call him Pharaoh because he wouldn't let God's people go. I said, come on, let God's people go. <laughs> and that was just a joke, of course. So once in a while, I'll say that to our pastor. Here, quit being a Pharaoh. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
But nonetheless, uh, Pharaoh would not let God's people go, and God miraculously delivered them. He basically forced Pharaoh's hand with all those uh, different plagues. We saw that. Of course, we're familiar with that. Now, uh, God is leading the Israelites from Egypt, and he's going to lead them eventually to Canaan land, the promised land. Uh, he's going to lead them there eventually. They don't get there right away. As a matter of fact, uh, when they first leave Egypt, they don't even take the most direct route to the promised land. Uh, they traveled from Egypt to Succoth, and then from Succoth they travel to Etham. Uh, and God is not taking them to Canaan the quickest way that's possible. Uh, he knew that they needed more time to be prepared for the conquests that will be required to take place in Canaan. You see, he had a land that he was preparing for them, but he also had to prepare them for that land. You know, Christian, tonight we, uh, we think about sometimes in our lives when we feel as though God is preparing a blessing for us in our future, whether it's a distant future or immediate future, but sometimes God has to prepare us for that blessing. Sometimes we're not ready to receive that blessing. And God at times is going to take us not the direct route, but a little bit longer route to get to uh, that answered prayer or that blessing. You see, God sometimes leads contrary to human reasoning. Uh, you think, well, God, why are you leading in this direction? Or why are we going that way? And why are we doing it this way? And listen, whether we understand it or not, even though he may be leading contrary to our human reasoning, he is still leading Nonetheless, he's still leading. Nonetheless, uh, we will see in Exodus chapter 14, one of the Bible's most miraculous events. Uh, we'll see the parting of the Red Sea, one of the most important events in the history of the nation of Israel. And I don't know about you, but when I read these passages, when I read these miracles in Scripture, I just it just it increases my my awe, uh, my reverence for God. And I think, man, this is incredible. This is incredible, the things that he did for folks like the nation of Israel. So let's get right into it. Point number one, we see point number one, the trail to the Red Sea. I apologize. Uh, we don't have any handouts this evening. Uh, it's kind of short notice, but um, uh, I hope and pray that you'll take notes uh, somewhere, whether in your Bible or on a different sheet of paper. The trail to the Red Sea. Look at Exodus 14 and verse number one. We're going to study uh, Exodus 14, verse 1, down to verse 18. So we'll be in the passage, in and out of the passage this evening. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. Uh, turn and encamp. Uh, turn and go in this direction. Uh, you're going straight. Now I want you to turn. I want you to turn. I want you to go in a different direction. And he's leading them. He's leading them to a place where they probably would not have gone on their own. You ever been there where God leads you to a place where you would not have gone on your own? A place that you did not choose? A place that was not your first choice? Anybody else ever been there? Uh, when, when God is leading, it may not be to where we think we should go. But he's leading nonetheless. And we should, as his children, we should follow. Now, this place where he led them, uh, they encamped, they turned and encamped before Pihahiroth, uh, between Migdal and the sea. Uh, the, the word Pihahiroth means mouth of gorges. Mouth of gorges. Uh, Migdal, the word Migdal means tower. Tower. And so uh, God led his people, uh, instead of going the way they thought they should go, uh, he led them to this place. Uh, he led them to a, a mountainous 
cavernous type of a place. Uh, we see they're camped in between uh, Pihahiroth, this mouth of gorges, uh, and this, this, this tower, this almost a military fortress type of a, of a tower. And so not only are they, on one hand, they have Pihahiroth, they have this uh, mountainous, cavernous place, they have Migdal, this, this tower place, then they have the Red Sea, uh, whether it's behind them or in front of them, wherever it is. And then, of course, we'll see eventually they have the Egyptian army breathing down their necks. Can you picture in your mind what's happening here? God says, don't go in that direction. I want you to go over here. And he's basically trapping them. He's basically entangling them, as the scripture tells us. That's what Pharaoh thought. Uh, he's basically cornering them. Uh, they're, they're in a spot where we have the, the, the army behind us. We have the Red Sea before us. We have Pihahiroth. We have Migdal. Lord, we're trapped. Where do we go? We're stuck in a corner. We are between a rock and a hard place. Have any of us ever been there? Where we're in a corner, where we're in a tight spot, where we don't know where to turn. And everywhere we look, there's trouble. We look before us and there's problems. We look behind us and there's more problems. We look to the right. We look to the left. There's nowhere to turn. There's trouble. There's tribulation. There's stress. There's persecution. There's all kinds of uh, relational struggles or, or maybe it's uh, marital problems or maybe it's financial struggles or maybe it's problems at work. Everywhere we turn, there's a problem. And in those instances, in those times when we don't know what to do, when we don't know where to turn, that's when God works a miracle. And we'll see that here in Exodus chapter number 14. And so uh, they were cornered, they were trapped, they were vulnerable. Uh, look at Exodus chapter 14, look at verse number 3. Verse number 3. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, or the children of Israel, yes, uh, they are entangled in the land. They're trapped. He's thinking, they're trapped. He's thinking, uh, they're cornered, they're, there's nowhere to run. Uh, I'm, we're going to get them. Uh, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. So Pharaoh is seeing where they are. He's realizing what's happened. He's saying, oh, I got them now. I got them now. There's nowhere for them to run. There's nowhere for them to go. Uh, they have the sea. They have Pihahiroth. They have Migdal. And, we have, and we're bearing down on them. There's nowhere for them to run. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh. This is God speaking. He says, I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. You see, God wanted Pharaoh to know that he is preeminent. God wanted Pharaoh to know that uh, all of those false gods that you worship back in Egypt, uh, they're not the true and living God. They're not real gods. They're false gods. And the God of Israel, Jehovah God, he is the true and living God. He's the real God. And you're going to find this out, Pharaoh. And not only are you going to find this out, but the children of Israel are going to be reminded yet again. Uh, they've been delivered by plague after plague after plague, miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet what happens? They begin to doubt. That's the same thing you and I would. You know, we can't we can't uh, knock the children of Israel too much, because if you and I were there, we'd, we, we would have done the same thing. We would have done the same thing. We would have started to doubt. We would have started to fret. We would have started to worry. We would have started to lose faith just like they did. God here is going to once again show his mighty power uh, by delivering the Israelites even when it seems impossible. You see, they had already seen the Israelites and the Egyptians. They had seen the hand of God work. 
uh, God had used uh, uh, the frogs. He had used the flies. He had used the lice. He had used the blood. He had used the boils. He had used the hail. He had used all these things, the death of the firstborn. He had used all these plagues, all these miracles to deliver them from Egyptian bondage. But the Egyptians, they felt we still got one ace up our sleeve. We still got something that can overcome them. You see, uh, they had their awesome, their legendary, their invincible army. And however, they were in for a big surprise. They thought, okay, uh, they, they escaped. Uh, we let them go. Uh, God delivered them by all these miracles. But man, we got our army. Uh, we're, we're invincible. Uh, we're going to get them. Robert Morgan wrote a book entitled The Red Sea Rules. The front cover gives a summary uh, of the contents of the book. And the front cover has this statement in it. It says, the same God that led you in is the same God that will lead you out. You with me tonight, Christian? The same God that led you into that cornered position. The same God that led you into that uh, between a rock and a hard place position. The same God that led you in there will also lead you out. You see, if God leads us into a position where we feel trapped... If God leads us into a position where we can't find a way out, where we don't understand how to make it work, uh, if he led us there, he will absolutely lead us out as well. Listen to this story. A true story of when uh, there was a, a, a Iraq war was going on and there was an attack planned on an Iraqi city that was postponed due to rain. The soldiers were in a desert not far from the city that they were supposed to raid. And the day they were supposed to move in, it started to rain. And so they postponed their attack. It rained all day long. There were three particular Christian soldiers uh, that were part of that troop. And they got together and they prayed that the rain would stop so the raid could go on as planned. It didn't stop raining. Uh, the same thing happened the next day. And so the Christian soldiers prayed yet again. And still it continued to rain. This amount of rain in a desert? This is unusual. Why is it raining so much for three days? And why is it raining here in the desert? The third day came, same thing, it's still raining, still raining. The soldiers prayed again, but the rain did not stop. Then finally the third day came and the rain stopped. The battalion was ready to go in and to attack. As they looked over the horizon, they saw Thousands of shiny objects on the ground. What those objects were, they were landmines. The consistent rain for the past three days had washed the desert away enough to expose what would have been disastrous and dangerous to those soldiers. Interesting how what we would view as an inconvenience... What we would view as God not answering our prayer. Listen, God answered their prayer. It was just not the way they expected it. You with me? Sometimes God answers your prayer, but it may not be the way you expect. We realize that in this scenario, in this true story, God knew what was best. And they thought, well, Lord, you're not hearing us. Lord, you're not answering our prayer. And Lord, and, and no, God was absolutely hearing them. God was absolutely answering. It was just in a better way. Than they thought. You know, God knows better than you. God knows better than me. You know, God can answer your prayers uh, better than you can formulate the words to ask. He's a heavenly father who knows what you need better than you and I know what we need. Isn't that wonderful? 
And so we see them here. They're trapped. They're cornered. They're between a rock and a hard place. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. Uh, we see the trail to the Red Sea. Uh, God took them the long route. God took them a different route that they would normally have gone. Let's look at point number two. Point number two. We see the trouble at the Red Sea. Not only the trail to the Red Sea, but we see the trouble at the Red Sea. Let's look at Exodus chapter number 14 and look at verse number 5. Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Pharaoh finally said, wait a second, we've just lost our cheap labor. We're going to have to get them back. Uh, and so he prepares his army, his invincible, his awesome, his, his, his mighty, legendary army. Uh, look at verse number seven. Verse number seven. And he took 600 chosen, the best chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt, and captains over every one of them. I have read, uh, historically, it's been said that the Egyptians were the ones who invented the chariot. I don't know if that's 100% true, but nonetheless, uh, they were technologically more advanced than all the nations, all the other nations of the world during uh, their uh, world dominance. Uh, and so they said, hey, we have this ace up our sleeve. We have a tremendous, invincible, powerful army. We will use that to bring them back. Look at Exodus 14. Look at verse number 8. Verse number eight, the Bible says, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with an high hand. Now, this is referring to uh, when they were delivered, when God, uh, when Pharaoh said enough, enough, the death of the firstborn, he says, get out, just leave. And, and it's, that's what it's talking about. Uh, the, the children of Israel went out with an high hand. In other words, they went out rejoicing. They were excited. They were happy. Uh, they were uh, giving each other high fives, so to speak, as they were celebrating their deliverance. They went out with an high hand. Verse 9 of Exodus 14. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal Zephon. And so we see here, they're excited, they're happy, they're celebrating. I mean, they're so glad that they're finally delivered from this bondage. Uh, and they're traveling, they're traveling, God is leading, God is leading. But then they have the uh-oh moment. They realize, uh-oh, Pharaoh, the army, the chariots, the horsemen, they're coming after us. They're thinking, wait a second, we went from jubilation, we went from celebration, we went from excitement to now, oh man, this is not good. Here they come. They're coming after us. Why can't they just leave us alone? You ever been there where uh, you experience a, a, a mountaintop uh, where you, you say, man, uh, man, life is good. Things are going well. But usually, generally speaking, after a mountaintop, there comes a, a valley, a valley. Have you heard the story? Uh, that there's a, a preacher who said, well, you know, we can't always have mountaintop experiences, you know, and, and there's going to be valleys in between the mountaintops. And, and one guy said, one guy said, oh, uh, I have mountaintop experiences 100% of the time. Mountaintop experiences 100% of the time. And the preacher was perplexed. He said, how is that possible? It can't be. And the guy says, well, 50% of the time, I'm on top of the mountain. And the other 50% of the time, the mountain's on top of me. 100%. Mountaintop experiences. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home. Anyway, um, 
Listen, we can't always have mountaintop experiences. There's going to be valleys. There's going to be uh, troubles. There's going to be tribulations. The Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples, uh, uh, in this world, ye shall have tribulation. It's going to happen. Uh, let's not be surprised. Let's not think, well, uh, well, I didn't realize it that, you know, I thought my Christian life was going to be perfect and a bed of roses and smooth sailing all the way and there's going to be no problems. Listen, if anyone told you that, they're lying to you. It's not true. You're going to have problems. You're going in this sin cursed fallen world. You're going to have struggles. It's a part of life. So this is the moment when their worst fears are about to come to pass. They think, I cannot believe we've been delivered from them. And here they come. They're they're barreling down our our, 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 our necks. They're, they're trying to bring down our necks. They're trying to get us again. They're trying to take us back. We see the trouble at the Red Sea. Uh, we see, number one, the trail to the Red Sea. Uh, God says you're not going to go the direct route. You're going to take the long route uh, and you're going to turn. We see the trouble at the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is coming. Uh, they're cornered. They're between a rock and a hard place. They have the, the Red Sea before them, the Egyptian army behind them, Pihahiroth on one side, Migdal on the other. They're cornered. They're nowhere to turn. We see, number three, we see the tears at the Red Sea. The tears at the Red Sea. Uh, and this is basically them... Crying out to God. Look at Exodus 14. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel, it says, cried out unto the Lord. Cried out. Their tears. They're crying. Now, we know that this, uh, it could be uh, literal physical tears coming from their eyes, but we know that this is a, a voicing of, 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 of struggle, a voicing of, of asking and seeking, and Lord, help us, and, and they're seeking God to, to bless them and deliver them. They're crying out to the Lord. Uh, but I guarantee you, some people were literally crying. I guarantee you. I know for sure. I know that if it were happening today, and if it were us, I guarantee you, some of us would be literally Shedding tears. I can't believe uh, we were just delivered from these people. And here they come again. Here they come again. Now, notice here what we see in verse number 10. Uh, Notice what it says. Look at it. It says, when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel, look at what it says. It says they lifted up their eyes. They lifted up their eyes. Here's the problem. They lifted up their eyes, but they did not lift up their eyes far enough. Look at it. It says, Israel, uh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, uh, they lifted up their eyes and they're beholding the Egyptians marched after them. Notice what they're looking at. Notice they turn, they lift up their eyes, they see Pharaoh, they see the soldiers, they see the chariots, they see the horsemen, they see the army. They lifted up their eyes, but they did not lift their eyes up high enough. You see, because Psalm 121, verse 1 through 3, the Bible says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Hey, Christian, I'm telling us tonight, when we are trapped, when we're cornered, when we don't know where to turn, don't just lift up your eyes and look at the problem. Look at the one who can solve the problem. Don't just lift up your eyes and, and, and see, yes, absolutely, we have to acknowledge that it's there. But listen, we need to make sure that we don't just acknowledge that there's a problem. We need to go to the one who, who we need to ask to solve that problem. Lift up your eyes unto the hills from whence cometh 
your help. From whence cometh my help? Uh, let's make sure we don't focus on just the problem. Hey, yes, acknowledge it's there. Yes, figure out a way to do all you can to fix it. But first and foremost, first and foremost, lift up your eyes unto the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, found, I have found in my Christian walk that the, the first responder, we talked about first responders a little bit this morning, the first responder to a problem is always, it's never the spirit, it's always the flesh. Is that the same with you? Immediately, when there's a problem in my life, the flesh responds instantly. And, and, and then I have to purposefully say, no, 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 I'm not going to respond in the flesh. I need to respond in the spirit. Our flesh is our first responder. I find that in my life that, you know, I, I want to figure it out and I want to uh, uh, analyze it and I want to find a solution. And then when I can't and then when I've exhausted every possible resource, then I say, Lord, help me. Lord, I, I can't figure it out. Lord, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not intelligent enough. Lord, I need your help. And you know what we're doing when we do that? We're using God basically as our spare tire. Hey, I, I got, a, I got a, a, a blowout here. Lord, I need your help. You see, a God should be our first, first response, our first resort, not our last resort, not our last resort. I, I often say to people when, uh, when, I'm, when I'm applying this principle, I say in the, the game of American football, okay, uh, in the game of American football, for those of you that know football, okay, uh, they, they, they run the ball and they pass the ball, the offense. They run the ball and they pass the ball. In the passing scheme of things, all right, uh, they have several receivers. The receivers are the people that catch the ball. The quarterbacks, y'all with me? Everybody okay? All right. The quarterback throws the ball, the receivers catch the ball, and they try to advance the ball. All right. So in any given play, in any given play, there's there's patterns. All right. The receiver on that side, he's going to run a certain pattern. The receiver on this side, he's going to run a certain pattern. Uh, this tight end over here, he's going to run a certain pattern. And so in a passing play, in a passing play, they're going to run certain patterns. And so the quarterback gets the snap and he looks at the first option. Right. There's a first option. It could be the receiver far out right or it could be the receiver far out left. But he's going to look at that individual first. And if that individual is open... He's supposed to, technically, throw the ball to him. But if that individual is covered, in other words, there's a defender that's real close, he says, okay, I can't throw it to him. I'm going to look at the second option. And the second option may be the receiver on the opposite side. Okay, I'm going to look over there, see if he's open. If he's open, I throw him the ball. But if he's not open, then I look at the third option. And there could be as many as four or five options. But listen, the very last option... If he goes to this guy and he's covered, he goes to that guy and he's covered, he goes to the next guy he's covered, and the fourth guy he's covered. Finally, there's a running back, generally speaking, on a pass play. They'll have a running back, uh, a player on the offensive that's in the backfield with the quarterback. Maybe he's blocking. Well, he'll be what's called a dump-off man. He'll be the last resort. If this guy's not open, if that guy's not open, if this guy's not open, if this other guy's not open, well, I'm just going to look to my dump-off man. I'm just going to dump the ball off to him and hope that he can gain some yardage. You know... Many times we use God as our dump-off man. He's our last resort. Uh, we, we try this, and then we try that, and then we try this, and then we try this. And we say, well, none of that worked. Okay, God, now I'll pray. But seek ye forth the kingdom of God. Is that what your Bible says? No, no, no. But seek ye third. The ki- no, that's not what it says. But seek ye second. Oh, we're getting better. But that's not what it says. It says, seek ye First, the kingdom of God. First. 
Uh, we should say, uh, I, I, we should say, there's a problem. There's a dilemma. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. Lord, I need your help. I need you to give me the wisdom. I need you to give me the, 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 the intelligence, the, the knowledge that I need to figure this out. Lord, I need your, your favor. I need you to bless this situation. Uh, there's nothing that I can do. Lord, please. And then try to fix the problem on your own. Asking him for leadership, asking him for guidance, asking him for favor. I'll be honest with you. I, I am not as good at this as I should be. I, I look at someone like Miss Marcia Anderson who prays about everything. I mean everything. And I love it. It's convicting. She says, well, I, I, I'll say, well, you know, uh, I, I can't find this. She said, let's pray. I'm like, it's a pencil. I just can't find the pencil. We're going to pray. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's convicting to me because we should pray about everything. We should go to the to the Lord about everything, even the small things. What are you going through tonight? Uh, what is it? Is it something large? Is it something small? Is it something in between? Go to the Lord. Cry out to God. Lift up your eyes unto the hills. That's where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. You see, the children of Israel here, it seems like they're doing the right thing by praying to God. However, look at their attitude. Their attitude is not right. Look at verse number 11. Exodus 14, verse number 11. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us to die, taken us away to die in the, in the wilderness? I notice in verse 10, uh, it says that they're crying out to the Lord. And in verse 11, they're bitter, they're angry, they're mad at Moses, they're criticizing the leadership. Listen, if we're going to pray... That is not the right attitude to have when we're praying. Look at it. Look at it again. Verse 11. And they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Uh, Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Listen, we talked about this morning uh, when we're fearful uh, that we're that we don't think clearly. We're not of a sound mind. Right here is a good example. This this is not logical. They're saying we'd be better off back there as slaves. Do you all see this? We'd be better off back there uh, just serving them and doing for them and building their pyramids. And, and then to be out here. How dare you bring us out here? This is not logical. This makes absolutely no sense. This is not sound uh, in their logic, and that's what happens when people are fearful, and that's what they're doing here as well. Listen, they may be praying to God on the outside, but on the inside, they have no faith. They have no faith. Uh, you've heard the story of the little boy, a little stubborn, mischievous boy. He was in class. He was acting up, and his teacher told him to stand in the corner as punishment, and, and he reluctantly did so. But he said, I may be standing on the outside, but I'm sitting down on the inside. And, you know, sometimes we as Christians, we take that position. We say, I'll do what's right. I'll do what's right on the outside, but on the inside, we're a mess. It's a disaster. Uh, We may be having the right actions, but we don't have the right attitude. And this is what's happening here. They're praying, they're crying out to God, but they're, they're bitter, they're angry, they're upset. They are not praying in faith. The Israelites were compliant as long as there wasn't any trouble Once trouble came, they were no longer compliant. They'll follow Moses as long as there's no trouble. And as soon as there's trouble, Moses is your fault. You messed up. I can't believe you did this to us. 
Uh, there's three reasons that I see here in Exodus 14 why God allowed them to be in this position. All right, so we have three subpoints on the point number three. Letter A, to sample God's power. To sample God's power. Look at Exodus 14 and verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, fear ye not. Now notice, we just talked about them being fearful, uh, and, and, and they're not thinking logically. They're thinking we, sh- we should rather go back and be slaves. He says, fear ye not. I think this would apply to us today in our society and what we have going on. By the way, I've heard many preachers say this. I've never studied this out myself, but I've heard preachers say that uh, there is uh, 365 fear ye not or be not afraid uh, uh, verses in Scripture, one for every day of the year. 365 fear not or be not afraid. And we see here God saying, fear ye not, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall, uh, which he will show you, show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. I love this verse 14. Look at verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. I love that. The Lord is going to fight this battle for you. There's no need in you getting all worked up. There's no need in you uh, trying to uh, work up the, 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 the strength and the energy. God is going to fight this battle. All you have to do is trust. All you have to do is step out by faith. All you have to do is believe and fear not. Uh, notice that he says, uh, I'm going to fight for you. The Lord's going to fight for you. Uh, and he's going to uh, put them in a place that uh, they can't strategize. They can't rationalize. They can't compromise. They can't figure it out themselves. And God is going to do it for them. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life, in my Christian walk, where I've been between a rock and a hard place. And I say, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out. Lord, I have no idea. If I extrapolate this whole scenario out and I say, well, if I do this, this will happen. If I do that, that'll happen. If I do this, that'll happen. And I think, Lord, I don't see any good coming out of this. There's been times in my life where I've been there. And I say, Lord, it's all yours. There's nothing I can do here. I can't make it better. I can't fix it. I can't, I can't even uh, patch it up. I can't even band-aid it. Lord, it's all you or it's all a disaster. And that's where they are here. God says, I'm going to take care of it for you. To sample God's power, let her be. To sense God's presence. To sense God's presence. Look at verse number 14 once again. To sense God's presence. The Lord shall fight for you and ye. I love this phrase. Ye shall hold your peace. In other words, you're going to shut up. Remember what they were saying? Why would you bring us out here? We, we told you we didn't want to come out here. You should have left us back in Egypt. It was better that we were back there than out here. You're going to kill us. You're going to bury us out here in this wilderness. And God says, I'm going to fight for you. And you're going to shut up. You're going to realize that you were wrong. Uh, you're going to realize, you see, uh, you're going to realize that my presence is real. Uh, and you're going to realize that I'm on, working on your behalf. And you're going to stop saying and doing the things that make absolutely no sense. You ever been there where uh, you're in this position between a rock and a hard place and you ever feel like you've gone to God and you feel like he's right there in the room with you? I've been there. Uh, it seems as if uh, at times the, the, the more problems we have, the closer we are to God. You all know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I think God allows some tribulation into our life just to kind of bring us back closer to him. 
Because we can get complacent. We can get kind of cocky a little bit and say, well, you know, everything's good. And, you know, I'll do my Bible reading later or I'll get to my, you know, my prayer time later. And, and God says, uh-uh, 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 whoa, 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 wait a second, buddy. You're missing what's most important. And that's walking with me. And let's make sure we don't have, God doesn't have to put us in a position where we get on our knees, where we, we grow, go to him and say, Lord, I need you because we need him every single day, every single second, every single minute, every single hour. We need him. And let's make sure we understand, uh, let's not have to force God to, to, to bring us closer to him. Uh, he's telling them, listen, when you see the Lord fight for you, you're going to regret, regret rather, you're whining, you're going to, uh, you're going to quiet down, you're going to hold your Peace. Look at verse 15 of Exodus 14. Verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. By the way, there's a time to pray and there's a time to proceed. There's a time to stand and there's a time to move forward. God is saying, now it's time to move forward. All right, look at verse number 16. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. The midst of the sea. Uh, Notice here that God says, I'm going to do something that you've never seen before. I'm going to do something that's physically impossible. Because I am the one that created the laws of physics. I am not bound by the laws of physics. I am the one that created the water and the world. I'm not bound by the physical uh, laws of nature. I can do whatever I please. And I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to do something for you that's never done before. And it's going to be miraculous. And you're going to walk across, not on uh, uh, muddy, clumpy, but on dry ground. God is going to pave their path across the Red Sea. That's incredible. That's miraculous. And we see that's exactly what God is telling them he's going to do. So we see uh, that God puts them in his position to sample his power, letter B, to sense his presence, and letter C, to see God's preeminence. To see God's preeminence. Look at Exodus 14. Look at verse number 16, uh, 17, rather. Verse number 17. To see God's preeminence. Verse 17. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor. I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor. Gotten me honor. Notice that that two times it says it in these two, two verses. I will get me honor upon Pharaoh. And when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. God not only wanted the Israelites to know that he is their God, that he is their father, that he loves them, he will care for them. He also wanted the Egyptians to be reminded that he is the true and living God and that he will have the preeminence. He wanted them to once again realize that he is infinitely more worthy of worship than any man-made false god that they worshipped in Egypt. Uh, God wants them and anyone else that hears about this miracle, anyone else that reads this account to realize that he and he alone is the one who truly should be worshipped. Him alone. Some people say, well, you know, I'm stuck in this marriage. Some people say, well, I'm, I'm stuck with this family or with these parents or with this spouse or I'm stuck in this financial problem or I'm stuck in, in this workplace or I'm stuck. Listen, we need to, we fail to realize that sometimes God can touch people who don't know Him by putting us 
in an uncomfortable position by putting us in a difficult and heartbreaking situation and a challenging problem. He can touch the lives of other people. I know that um, my, my wife and I, Trina and I, have we've been through our fair share of struggles. We've been married almost 27 years, and those of you that have been married decades and decades, you know uh, that there are ups and downs. There are ebbs and flows, and there are highlights and lowlights, and, and it, it's a part of being married. It's a part of living in this world. And there were times, there have been times in the past, and you've heard me say this before, probably here at White Oak Baptist Church, that uh, we had gone through something, and we would look at ourselves and say, why is this happening? You know, we're going to church. We're reading the Bible. We're praying. We're trying to be as faithful as we can. We're tithing. Uh, we're, we're going soul winning. We're, we're, we're teaching. We're serving. We're, I mean, we're committed. We're trying to rear our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And, and Lord, we're trying to the best of our ability with your help, with your power. We're trying to serve you and live for you and honor you. And yet, even in those times, bad things still happen. Y'all with me tonight? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, and Trina and I would look at each other and say, we're puzzled. We don't understand. Why is this happening? But the funny thing is that after we get through that valley, after we get through that trial, after we are delivered by the by miraculous hand of God in that rock in a hard place situation, uh, and, and years pass by, years go by, and then all of a sudden we meet someone in a church that we're members of, and we realize, ah, oh, God allowed us to go through that so we could encourage these people. I don't know about you, but there are times when we have had that happen where we go through something. We have no idea why we can't understand it. We can't figure it out. Uh, God delivered us through that and he blessed us. And, and we look back and we say, we're glad it's over. It's behind us. It was a bad deal and we're glad it's gone. But then we find someone who's going through either the exact same thing or something very similar. And we say, all right, Lord, I see what you were doing. You see, he can see the whole picture. You and I can't. He can see who you are going to influence in the future. He can see who you are going to influence in your workplace. He can see what neighbors you're going to have an impact on. He can see what family members, what extended relatives uh, you're going to have an influence over. And he does exactly what is best for you and for them. And sometimes it's best for us to go through a little difficulty or a trial or maybe even a big difficulty or a big trial. You see, we got to remember that God does not exist for us. We exist for him. One of the things that uh, I tell people when I do marital counseling, I say, listen, uh, marriage is not meant for your happiness. And they often look at me like, what are you talking about? No, that's not what it's meant for. Marriage is not meant for you to be happy. Now, are you going to be happy? Are there going to be happy times? Absolutely. Uh, if a marriage is, is honoring to the Lord and both parties are, are loving each other and, and being submissive to one another and just showering each other with love, man, it's, it's a very happy, happy relationship. But that's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage, according to Ephesians chapter 5, is to display to the world the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for his church. That's the purpose of marriage. And God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, he, he relinquished his rights. He, he humbled himself. Uh, he became obedient unto death. And he served us. That's the picture that is supposed to be displayed in marriage. Too many people go into marriage thinking, this is going to make me happy. Listen, that's not what it's for. I hope and pray that it does. I know my marriage has made me happy many times. 
And I know my marriage at times has made me unhappy. Amen? I've made Trina very unhappy sometimes. Uh, and that's just a part of it. But nonetheless, we do not exist for, uh, God does not exist for us, rather. We exist for him. You see, the galaxy does not revolve around the earth as some thought thousands of years ago. The planets, the worlds actually revolve around the sun. Uh, the same is true in the spiritual world. We tend to think that the sun, the S-O-N, revolves around our world. And that's not right. You see, we revolve around him. Everything, he's the center. I, I like this statement. We want the back of the church, the front of the line, the middle of the road, and the center of attention. That's what a lot of Christians want. That's what a lot of people want. And listen, we're not the center. The Lord Jesus Christ is the center. He should be preeminent. Uh, Colossians puts it this way, very simple, three words. Christ is all. I love that. It's simple for a simpleton like me. Christ is all. He's everything. He should be everything. He should be the center. He should be the focus. He should be everything. Listen, our lives, our schedules, our families, our priorities should all revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. It should not be uh, something that we add to our life. Uh, it should not be, listen, uh, we that are, that are saved, uh, uh, Christianity should not be a part of our life. It should be our life. Uh, you are with me tonight? And God is reminding the Israelites, God is showing to the Egyptians, hey, listen, what you're going through, that's not what's important. What's important is that you honor me. God is saying, what's important is that you praise me. You see, if the pain doesn't go away, if the business doesn't work out, if the marriage isn't great, God says to us, I love you, but it's not about you. It's not about you. I have a greater plan. The Egyptians in your life, they're watching. The Egyptians in your life, they're watching. And when people uh, you work with, they see you continue to praise me in spite of the problems. When your neighbors see you continue to worship me in spite of your headaches. Uh, when your family sees you continue to thank me, listen, I will be glorified. And that is what's most important. Listen, we can fight this till the day we die. Or we can finally come to the place in our life where we say, the sun, the S-O-N, is the center of everything. Come what may, the sun is the center of my universe. Listen, it may not seem fair right now. Uh, it will eventually. Uh, it may not seem pleasant right now. It will eventually. The waters of your life will eventually part. There will come a day when, hopefully, Lord willing, on this side of eternity, you see that problem, that situation uh, turned and uh, for the better. There will come a day. Listen, but even if it doesn't happen on this side of eternity, there will come a day when the waters will part. And God has paved the way for us to cross from earth to heaven. Uh, and God is going to be honored. He's going to be glorified. The waters are going to part. We're going to be ushered into eternity. We'll hear the Lord say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I had you boxed in, but you stood still. You didn't fall away. I had you cornered, but you didn't turn back. I, I had you between a rock and a hard place, but you didn't walk out. Now enter into the joy of thy Lord. I don't know about you, but that's what I want my testimony to be. I want God to look down on me and say, that knucklehead boy down there, I mean, 
Yeah, he messes up and he's got all kinds of issues, but when he gets boxed in and when he gets put in a hard place, when he gets trapped, when he's cornered, when he doesn't know where to turn, man, he certainly tries to lift up his eyes unto the hills, unto me. He tries with everything he's got to show his wife, to show his daughters, to show uh, his sons-in-laws and to show his future grandchildren. He shows everybody he can have influence. So, man, turn to God. Turn to God. In a, in a time when people are fearful, when people feel like they're between a rock and a hard place, when people feel like they don't know what to do, they feel like there's no hope, let's us be the children of God that say, hey, let's look to the Lord. Let's look to God. Let's turn to Him. Uh, it's during these times when we can see tremendous revival in our country. Uh, we can see tremendous revival in our churches. We can see tremendous revival in our lives personally. God is working. God is leading. Oh, he may not be doing it the way that we think is best, but he knows better than we know. Isaiah chapter 55 says that his ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Let's trust him. Let's follow him. And let's, when he says turn, let's turn. When he says stop, let's stop. When he says move forward, Let's move forward. But let's the entire time keep our eyes focused on him. And once in a while, our eyes are going to look at the problem. And our eyes are going to look at the, the, the situation. And, and let's make sure we're reminded, look to God. Uh, look up to the Lord. Uh, don't focus on the problem. Uh, that's why Colossians chapter 3 says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Uh, that's why in Ecclesiastes, when, when Solomon came to the end of his life, when he had everything, he had everything he could ever want, his life was just peachy. He thought, man, I did it all. He looks back and he says, everything that I did, everything that I accomplished under the sun, it's a waste. It's all vain. It's vanity. It's vexation of spirit. Why? Because he was focused on the things under the sun. Hey, Christian. Let's not focus only on the things under the sun. Let's put our heart's focus on what's above the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have our world revolve around him. How about it tonight? Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we love you this evening. Lord, we thank you again for this reminder, especially during these difficult times. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember that you might be leading in a way that's different than what we would think is best. But Lord, you know better than we know. You know what we need far better than we know what we need. And Lord, help us in those times when we feel cornered, we feel trapped, we feel very vulnerable. Lord, help us to make sure in those times, especially to lift up our eyes unto you. Lord, may you be preeminent in our lives. Lord, may you have first place in our hearts in our relationships, in our, in our giving, Lord, in our schedules. Lord, may we seek you first, not second, third, or fourth. Lord, help us to be Christians, to be people that look to you first and foremost, that we might honor you. We thank you, Lord, again for this reminder from Exodus chapter number 14.